Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Pastor Wood, did did we finish Daniel? Uh, I I mean, you were just uh, right there in chapter 10, and and then there was no more in chapter 11, and you read us the last part of chapter 12. I, I didn't understand that. I've never heard you really lay out the way it's all going to go down. Well, there's an excellent reason that you haven't heard me lay it out exactly the way it's going to go down, and that is because only God knows exactly how it's all going to go down. But I'll tell you a few things. First of all, in those last two chapters of Daniel, we see an amazing, amazing, detailed prophecy concerning the way that God would, in fact, in the short term, order the events of world history. You've got a clear foreshadowing of the rise of Alexander the Great and following him, the four generals that took over because he didn't have um, an heir who inherited his kingdom. You've got a short-term fulfillment of that prophecy. You've got timing concerning the coming of Messiah. You've got all kinds of things in Daniel's visions and in the prophecy that's there but you also have very clearly a foreshadowing of what is to come at the end of time. And that's where not everybody agrees on the details. It's easy to look back and say, well, I was Alexander the Great. Oh, well, those are the four guys who took over his territory when his kingdom was divided. And then apparently this is Rome rising up after that. That's easy to do because that's called hindsight. But what Daniel was given was not just a vision of the future for him, but also the future of world history. That's why we concluded with the last part of Daniel, which is the conclusion of all of it, when there will be the resurrection, and uh, we'll all stand before God and receive what is coming to us. But I cannot tell you exactly how it's all gone down. I could have when I was in seventh grade. When I was in seventh grade, I knew exactly how it was all going to come out. I could draw you a multicolored chart. I could explain the whole thing, because I had been well-taught by people who had been well-taught by people who were sure exactly how it was all going to go down. And so I knew. I, I was sure. And then it turns out, if you take these verses over here and interpret them by these verses over here, then, oh my goodness, that changes everything, doesn't it? And so within the body of Christ, there are people who are pre-tribulational rapturous, mid-tribulational rapturous, post-tribulational rapturous. There are uh, folks who are simply classical historical premillennialists, and then you have in the cemeteries, some people who were post-millennialists, and, and then you have uh, a whole bunch of people who are amillennialists, 
And some of you are sitting there saying, I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. If you are interested in all that sort of thing, there are tons of resources available. But what I'm telling you, and what I want to focus on this morning, and why we're going to go to the New Testament this morning, is the fact that every time I read in Scripture about what's coming, the thrust of the passage is always how we ought to live now in light of what's coming. So we get glimpses of what is to be, but just enough to know what we need to be doing now. It's not all the events laid out so that we can say, yes, and then this will happen, and then this will happen, and... Uh, as you walk down the streets of gold, my home will be on the right. Um, that's not the way that it's foretold. Rather, we're given glimpses of the future that remind us that God has it all perfectly planned, and when it unfolds, we will all say, yes, that's what God said. And let me tell you, it is going to be exactly like God said. When Jesus came the first time, there were already tons of prophecies concerning his first coming. He was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be despised and rejected. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was going to take upon himself that which we deserve, the punishment that was due us he would bear. All of those things were prophesied. Some of those prophecies were popular. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, that was pretty good stuff. Suffering servant, dying on our behalf, ooh, that doesn't fit with what we feel like we need right now. And so that was overlooked, not only by the populace, but by Jesus' own disciples, including when Jesus tried to tell them repeatedly that this is what's going to happen. They were like, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you know what he's talking about? I don't get it. I, you know. Peter even tried to take Jesus aside and tell him, surely not, Lord. No way. The stuff you're saying, even though what Jesus was saying was right straight out of what God had said would happen, Peter was saying, surely not. And I would submit to you that some of what God is saying in his word about what's coming in the last times, we're still a lot like Peter saying, oh, uh, I don't think that's what it means. It can, no, I don't think so. Now, I will tell you this much about my own convictions concerning what's coming. I am very definitely not taking all of this symbolically, which is the amillennial view, okay? I have great respect for dear brothers and sisters in Christ who have carefully studied the scriptures and really believe it's all symbolic, all that future stuff, that's all symbolic. And they take an amillennial approach where things that look to me like it's kind of literal and historical are going to be literally fulfilled, in my view, and just symbolic in theirs. A lot of them also take that view, by the way, regarding things in the Old Testament, which to them is like, well, I don't think that necessarily really happened. It's just a story that kind of symbolically tells us about the 
Well, I think they're dead wrong. And I'll give you an example of why. One of the prophecies concerning Jesus was that he was going to be born of a virgin. Guess what? We know biologically that that just doesn't happen. I mean, <laughs> born of a virgin. If they mean just young woman, then uh, sure, you know. I mean, you know, the Hebrew could go either way. But if, as it is recorded in the Septuagint translation, it's the more precise term <laughs> regarding a, a woman who has never been with a man, uh, then that would be obviously biologically impossible. And yet that's exactly what the New Testament says happened. New Testament, by the way, written in Greek. And it says very specifically, not just using a term virgin, which means a woman who hasn't been with a man, but telling the story of Mary saying to the angel, yes, there are angels, saying to the angel, how's this going to be since I've never been with a man? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, God's going to accomplish it. You see, some of these things that seem so hard to imagine are the kind of thing that only God could pull off. Well, folks, that's the point of the story. The story of salvation is not just for our good. It is for God's glory. So when I read about what's going to happen, there are a lot of things that are definitely symbolic. A millennial says amen. But they're not just symbolic. I believe they will also be literally fulfilled. Okay, Pastor Wood, so do you really believe there's going to be like a lion with wings? No, 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 no. There's definitely apocalyptic symbolism that is presented as such. I saw something that looked like this. I saw something that looked like this. And I said, what are these things? And it was explained to me what these things were. There's not going to be some snarly beast with ten horns on his head. Because it explains what that is. Those are ten rulers. So will there literally be ten rulers? You better bet on it. And the reason we know that is because God said so. So if you just want to say, oh, well, it's all symbolic of God's triumph over evil. Well, it certainly does represent God's triumph over evil. It certainly does show us that God is sovereignly in control. It certainly does reassure people who are suffering for their faith that in the end, it's all going to come out right. That's definitely true. But if you think that's all the information we've been given ahead of time, you're just refusing to read. Like Peter saying, surely not, Lord. Oh, yes, surely so. God will do exactly what he has said, exactly what he has said. And when he does, everyone will have to acknowledge that he is indeed God. Hi, this is Jim Wood. Wanted to talk with you for just a moment about Wears Valley Ranch. The ranch is a place that God owns and God runs. There are some great people who work here, and they're all here for one reason. God's called them. The children who come here are not delinquent. They're not drug addicted. They are children who come from difficult situations that they didn't create. Kids who may have lost a parent to cancer or heart disease, 
children who may have lost a parent in a car wreck or to a drug addiction that wrecked their lives. And at the ranch, they find a place of healing and hope. You can help continue this miracle by praying for us and giving whatever God puts on your heart. I hope that if you're encouraged by these broadcasts, that you'll join us in helping these children with the most generous gift you can make. These children are well worth it, and God has promised that he will reward whatever we do for the least of those who are his brothers. God bless you. Now, open your Bibles to one of these passages that gives us a glimpse into the future. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. Just get that right there. I want you to recall... The words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. In other words, don't forget the stuff the prophets have written and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. All right. Looking at that passage, are there specific things that God tells us about what's going to happen in the future in this passage? Absolutely. What specifically are we told is going to occur? Well, verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So there will be the element of surprise. Not only that, we're specifically told that the heavens will disappear with a roar. That's talking about the stuff overhead. And the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The planet is going to burn up like a trash bag. And the stuff on the inside is going to come to the surface and it's all going to be destroyed. But that's not a problem because the one who's going to do that says that that's what it's presently reserved for. In other words, God has designed this creation in such a way that at his decided time, it's all going to go up in flames. That's the plan. Wait, wait. That's a beautiful place. God says it cannot compare to what I have planned for the future. I mean, where do you think all this came from? Have you ever looked at a sunset and thought, wow, that's beautiful? Well, that was God's idea. He designed it so that light would be displayed that way. Morning, evening, the, the particles in the atmosphere allow us to see this gorgeous display. Rainbows, that was God's idea. God designed that. And that brings up another thing in this text. You know, I know that God is great, but I, I, don't, I don't know some of those miracles I read about, like the flood, you know, I just find that hard to believe. Well, I can't take you back and show you the flood, but stick around, you may get to see a fire. <laughs> Okay? Because one's coming. And what this says is, people who think everything's just going on like it's always been, are deliberately forgetting. Please see that. Verse 5. They deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water by water. Verse 6. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. This reaffirms the literal flood. Well, I just find that hard to believe. Well, you know, I'm not impressed. Because I don't think you're God, and I don't think that whatever you think is God's word. This is God's word. And I happen to know God, and he doesn't lie. Creation Every day and every night is telling us there is a God. There is a God, and you're not him. And in this passage, we're told some specific things about what's to come. But how much space, how many verses 
are devoted to telling us about the coming fire of judgment versus how many verses, how many of these statements have to do with how we ought to live in light of what's coming. Look at it again. Verse 7 tells us this is what's going to happen. Verse 10 tells us this is what's going to happen. That's two verses. Verse 11 through 18, those are some of the verses that tell us how we ought to live in light of the fact that this is what's coming. The declarative statement is, this is what's going to happen. The argument is, in light of these things, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. What? Why would I be looking forward to the fire? Because I'm looking forward to what follows the fire. I'm looking forward to being forever with my father in his house, surrounded by my brothers and sisters with no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more goodbyes. I am looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, and it's going to be greater by far than this place, which is magnificent despite sin and the curse. You realize this place as beautiful as it is, is not Eden. This is not as good as it was before the fall. And what we had before the fall is not what we're going to have after redemption is consummated. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us, for those who love him. So, in light of that, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be looking forward to this and therefore living holy and godly lives. Now, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you were looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Your relationship with God is what is absolutely paramount. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. There were believers who were saying, why doesn't he just hurry up and come? And the answer is because God is still in the process of drawing people to himself. And there are still people who are going to be in heaven who have not yet been reconciled to God. And so God is giving them time to repent. And that is wonderful news. Because you see, if, if Jesus had come back in the days when this was being written, well, then you and I wouldn't be here. You say, well, I'd be willing to give, I'd be willing to give this up. Oh, ah, I'm not talking about this. God's intention was for those of us who know him to be with him forever. That's what I don't want to give up. God hasn't just predestined me to live on a mountainside in the Smoky Mountains of East Tennessee. I can't give that up. I could give that up. But I want to spend forever with Jesus. That is glory. That is paradise. That is what I have to look forward to. And so do all of us.
who are in Christ Jesus. Now, to reiterate what I said earlier, even Peter here refers to some of what Paul says as hard to understand. I think that's not only humility, I think it's wisdom. And that's why, even though I can tell you in seventh grade exactly how it was all going to go down, I can't tell you now because I've grown up a little bit. And now I know there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know. But what I do know is that there is a God and he is in charge and everything is going to happen exactly the way he said. So, let's look forward to his coming and let's live holy lives. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.